Suspense. Columbia's program, Suspense. Our star tonight is one of the most compelling actresses in America today, Miss Agnes Moorhead. Miss Moorhead returns to our stage to appear in a new study in terror by Lucille Fletcher called Sorry, Wrong Number. This story of a woman who accidentally overheard a conversation with death and who strove frantically to prevent murder from claiming an innocent victim is tonight's tale of suspense. If you have been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with Sorry, Wrong Number and the performance of Agnes Moorhead, we again hope to keep you in suspense. I've been dialing Murray Hill 70093 now for the last three quarters of an hour, and the line is always busy. I don't see how it could be busy that long. Will you try it for me, please? I will be glad to try that number for you. One moment, please. I don't see how it could be busy all this time. It's my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I'm all alone here in the house. My health is very poor, and I've been feeling so nervous all day. Ringing Murray Hill 70093. Okay, I understand. Now make it quick. As little blood as possible, huh? Oh, 
Our client does not wish to make her suffer long. Will a knife be okay, sir? Well, the knife will be okay. And uh, do you remember the other details? Yeah, yeah, I know. Remove the rings and bracelets and the jewelry and the bureau drawer. That's right. Our client wishes it to look like simple robbery. But don't worry. Everything is going to be okay. All right, then. Be sure to... Oh! Oh! Oh, how awful! How unspeakably awful! Operator, I, I, I've just been cut off. I'm sorry. What number were you calling? Why, it, it was supposed to be Murray Hill 70093, but it wasn't. Some wires must have got crossed. I was cut into a wrong number, and I, 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 I've just heard the most dreadful thing. Something about a murder. And, Operator, you'll simply have to retrace that call at once. I beg your pardon. May I help you? Oh, I, I know it was the wrong number, and I had no business listening, but... These two men, they were cold-blooded fiends, and they were going to murder somebody, some poor innocent woman who was all alone in a house near a bridge, and we've got to stop them. We've got to... What number were you calling, please? Well, that doesn't matter. This was a wrong number, and you dialed it for me, and we've got to find out what it was immediately. What number did you call? Oh, why are you so stupid? What time is it? Do you mean to tell me you can't find out what that number was just now? I'll connect you with the chief operator. Oh, I think it's perfectly shameful. Now, look, look, it was obviously a case of some little slip of the finger. I, I told you to try Murray Hill 70093 for me. You dialed it, but your finger must have slipped, and I was connected with some other number. A- and I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. Now, now, I simply fail to see why you couldn't make that same mistake again, on, on purpose, why you couldn't try to dial Murray Hill 70093 in the same sort of careless way. Murray Hill 70093, I will try to get it for you. Thank you. I'm sorry, Murray Hill 70093 is busy. I will call you with 20... Operator! Operator! Uh, Operator, will you answer me? Your call, please. Well, you didn't try to get that wrong number at all. I asked you explicitly, and all you did was dial correctly. I'm sorry. Uh, what number are you calling? Oh, can't you for once forget what number I'm calling and do something for me? Now, I want to trace that call. It's my civic duty, it's your civic duty to trace that call and apprehend those dangerous killers. And if you won't... I will connect you with the chief operator. Please. Oh, uh, Chief Operator, I want you to trace a call, a, a telephone call immediately. I don't know where it came from or who was making it, but it's absolutely necessary that it be tracked down because it was about a murder that someone's planning. A, a terrible, cold-blooded murder of a poor, innocent woman. Tonight at 11.15. I see. Well, can you trace it for me? Can you track down those men? I'm not certain. It depends. Depends on what? It depends on whether the call is still going on. If it's a live call, we can trace it on the equipment. If it's been disconnected, we can't. Disconnected? If the parties have stopped talking to each other. Oh, but, but of course they must have stopped talking to each other by now. That was at least five minutes ago, and they didn't sound like the type who would make a long call. Well, I can try tracing it. May I have your name, please? Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Albert Stevenson. Now, but, but listen... And your telephone number, please. Oh, Plaza 42295. But if you go on wasting all this time... Why do you want the call traced, please? Why? Well... Oh, no reason. No reason. I, I mean, I, I merely felt very strongly that something ought to be done about it. 
these these men sounded like killers. They're they're dangerous. They're going to murder this woman at eleven fifteen tonight, and I thought the police ought to know. Have you reported this to, to the police? Well, no, no, not yet. You want this call checked purely as a private individual? Yes, yes, but meanwhile. I'm sorry, Mrs. Stevenson, but I'm afraid we couldn't make this check for you and trace the call just in your say so as a private individual. Well, I... we'd have to do something more official. Oh, for heaven's sake! You mean to tell me I can't report that there's going to be a murder without getting tied up in all this red tape? Why, it's perfectly idiotic. Well, all right, all right. I'll call the police. Thank you. I'm sure that would be the best way to... Oh, ridiculous. It's perfectly ridiculous. Oh. Your call, please. Uh, the police department. Get me the police department, please. Thank you. Bringing the police department. and Mrs. Elbert Smythe Stevenson of 53 North Sutton Place. I'm calling up to report a murder. I mean, the murder hasn't been committed yet, but I, I, I just overheard plans for it over the telephone, over a wrong number that the operator gave me. I've been trying to trace down the call myself, but everybody is so stupid, and I, I guess in the end you're the only people who could do anything. Yes, ma'am. Well, it, it, it was a perfectly definite murder. I, I heard their plans distinctly. Uh, two men were talking, and they were going to murder some woman at 11.15 tonight. She lived in a house near a bridge. Are you listening to me? Uh, 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 yes, ma'am. And there was a private patrolman on the street. He was going to go around for a beer on 2nd Avenue, and, and, and there was some third man, a, a client, who was uh, paying to have this poor woman murdered. They were going to take her rings and bracelets and, and, and use a knife. Well, it's, it's unnerved me dreadfully, and I'm not well. Oh, I see. And uh, when was all this, ma'am? Oh, well, uh, about eight minutes ago. Oh, I, then you can do something you do understand. Uh, what is your name, ma'am? Uh, Mrs. Stevenson, Mrs. Albert Stevenson. And your address? Uh, 53 North Sutton Place. 53 North Sutton Place. That's near a bridge. The, the Queensborough Bridge, you know, and, and and we have a private patrolman on our street, and, and, and 2nd Avenue... And what was the number you were calling? Murray Hill 70093. But, but that wasn't the number I overheard. I, I mean, Murray Hill 70093 is my husband's office. He's, he's working late tonight, and I was trying to reach him to ask him to come home. I'm an invalid, you know, and uh, it's the maid's night off, and I hate to be alone even though he says I'm perfectly safe as long as I have the telephone right beside my bed. Well, we'll look into it, Mrs. Stevenson, well, and we'll see if we can check it with the telephone company. But the telephone company said they couldn't check the call if the parties had stopped talking. I've already taken care of that. Oh, you have? Yes, and personally, I feel you ought to do something far more immediate and drastic than just check the call. What good does checking the call do if they stop talking? By the time you track it down, they'll already have committed the murder. Well, we'll take care of it, don't you worry. Well, I'd say the whole thing called for a search, a complete and thorough search of the whole city. Now, I'm very near the bridge, and I'm not far from 2nd Avenue, and I know I'd feel a lot better if, if you sent around a radio car to this neighborhood at once. And what makes you think the murder's going to be committed in your neighborhood, oh, ma'am? Oh, well, I, I don't know. Only the coincidence is so horrible. 
Second Avenue and the uh, patrolman and the bridge? Uh, Second Avenue is a very long street, ma'am. I know. And you know how many bridges there are in the city of New York alone. Oh. Not to mention Brooklyn, Staten Island, Queens, and the Bronx. I know. How do you know there isn't some little house out on Staten Island on some little Second Avenue you've never even heard about? Oh. How do you know they're even talking in, about New York at all? But I heard the call in the New York dialing system. Uh, maybe it was a long-distance call you overheard. Oh. Uh, telephones are funny things. Look, lady, why don't you look at it this way? Supposing you hadn't broken in on that telephone call. Supposing you'd got your husband the way you always do. You wouldn't be upset, would you? No, I suppose not. Only it, it, it sounded so inhuman, so cold-blooded. Well, a lot of murders are plotted in this city every day, ma'am. Well, we I... managed to prevent most all of them, but a clue of this kind is so vague. I... Isn't much more use to us than no clue at but all. But surely you... Unless, of course, uh, you have some reason for thinking this call was phony and that somebody may be planning to murder you. Me? Oh, no, I hardly think so. Well, I, I mean, why should anybody? I, I, I'm alone all day and night. I I see nobody except my maid, Eloise, and, and she's a big girl. She weighs 200 pounds. She's too lazy to bring up my breakfast tray. And the, and the only other person is my husband, Albert. He's crazy about me. He just adores me. Wait. On me hand and foot, it scarcely left my side since I took six 12 years ago. Well, and there's nothing for you to worry about. But I... Now, if you'll just leave the rest of this to us, we'll but take care of it. what will you do? It's so late. It's nearly 11 now. We'll take care of it later. Well, will you broadcast it all over the city and send out squads and, and, and warn your radio cars to watch out, especially in suspicious neighborhoods like mine? Lady, I said we'd take care of it. I... Just now, I've got a couple of other matters here on my desk that require immediate attention. Oh, good night, ma'am, and thank you. Oh, you, you idiot. Oh. oh, now, why did I hang up the phone like that? Now we'll think I am a fool. Oh, why doesn't Albert come home? Why doesn't he? Operator, for heaven's sake, will you ring that Murray Hill 70093 number again? I can't think what's keeping him so long. I will try it for you. Well, try, try. Oh. So nervous. You don't have to tell me. I know it's busy. Oh, oh if, if I could only get out of this bed for a little while. If I could, if I could get a breath of fresh air or just lean out of the window or, or see the street. Hello, Albert? Hello? 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 Oh, what's the matter with this phone? Hello? Hello? Oh, 
Your call, please. Hello, operator. I don't know what's the matter with this telephone tonight, but it's positively driving me crazy. I've never seen such inefficient, miserable service. Now, 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 look. I'm an invalid, and I'm very nervous, and I'm not supposed to be annoyed. But if this keeps on much longer... What seems to be the trouble, please? Well, everything's wrong. I haven't had one bit of satisfaction out of one call I've made this evening. The whole world could be murdered for all you people care. And now, now, my phone keeps ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing every five seconds or so. And when I pick it up, there's no one there. I'm sorry. If you will hang up, I will test it for you. I don't want you to test it for me. I want you to put that call through. Whatever it is, it, it wants. I'm afraid I cannot do that. You can't. And why? Why, may I ask? dial system is automatic. Oh. If someone is trying to dial your number, there is no way to check whether the call is coming through the system or not. Oh, unless the person who is trying to reach you complains to his particular operator. Well, of all this stupid. And meanwhile, I've got to sit here in my bed suffering every time that phone rings, imagining everything. I will try to check the trouble for check you. Check it, check it. That's all anybody can do. Oh, what's the use of talking to you? You're stupid. Oh, I'll fix her. Of all they impudent. Oh, how dare she speak to me like that? How dare she speak to me like that? Oh. Your call, please. Young woman, I don't know your name. But there are ways of finding you out. And I'm going to report you to your superiors for the most unpardonable rudeness and insolence that has ever been my privilege. Give me the business office at once. You may dial that number direct. Dial it direct? I'll do no such thing. I don't even know the number. The number is in the directory. Or you may secure it by dialing information. Now listen here, you... Oh, what's the use? answer them just now. That's why they've been ringing me. Why no one has answered me. Oh. Oh. 
I'm all, sorry. The line is busy. I will call you. Busy? Busy? But that's impossible. The police department can't be busy. There must be other lines available. The line is busy. Oh. I will try to get them for you later. No, no. I've got to speak to them now or it may be too late. I've got to talk to someone. What number do you wish to speak to? Please. I don't know, but there must be someone to protect people beside the police department. A, a, a detective agency. A, a... Uh, you will find agencies listed in the classified directory. But I don't have a classified directory. I, 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 I mean, I'm too nervous to I look it up. I will connect you with information. Know. Perhaps she will be able to help you. No, no. Oh, you're being spiteful, aren't you? You don't care, do you, what happens to me? I could die and you wouldn't care. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop it. I can't stand anymore. Hello. What do you want? Stop ringing, will you? Stop it. Hello? It's this plaza 42295. Uh, yes, I'm... I'm sorry. This, yes, this is plaza 42295. This is Western Union. Uh, I have a telegram here for Mrs. Albert Stevenson. Uh, is there anyone there to receive the message? Y- y- yes, I am Mrs. Stevenson. The telegram is as follows. Mrs. Albert Stevenson, 53 North Second Place, New York, New York. Darling, terribly sorry. Tried to get you for last hour, but line busy. Oh. Leaving for Boston, 11 oh. p.m. tonight on urgent business. Back tomorrow afternoon. Keep happy. Love. Signed, Albert. Oh, no. Do you wish us to deliver a copy of the message? No. No, thank you. Thank you, madam. Good night. Good night. Oh, Oh. Oh, no. No, I don't believe it. He couldn't do it. Not when he knows I'll be all alone. It's some trick. It's some trick. Some fiendish... Some fiendish trick. I know. Oh, I'm so nervous. Your call, please. Operator, try that Murray Hill 70093 number for me just once more, please. You may dial that number direct. Hensley Hospital. Hensley Hospital? Yes. Do you have the street address? 
address? No, no, it's somewhere in the 70s. It's a very small, uh, private and exclusive hospital where I had my appendix out two years ago. Uh, Henschley, H-E-N-C-H. Will you please hurry and... and, uh, Please, what is the time? You may find out the time by dialing Meridian 71212. Oh, for heaven's sake, I've no time to be dialing. The number of Henchley Hospital is Butterfield 70105. Butterfield 70105. Nurses registry. Who was it you wish to speak to, please? I want the nurses registry at once. I, I, I want a trained nurse. I want to hire immediately for the night. I see. And what is the nature of the case, madam? Nurse, I, I, I'm very nervous. I, I need soothing and, and companionship. You, you see, my husband is away, and I'm Have also. Have you been recommended to us by any doctor in particular, madam? No, but I really don't see why all this catechizing is necessary. I, I, I just want a trained nurse. I was a patient in your hospital two years ago, and. After all, I, I do expect to pay this person for attending me. Well, we quite understand that, madam, but these are war times, you know. I know that. Registered nurses are very scarce just now. And our superintendent has asked us to send people out only on cases where the physician in charge feels it's absolutely necessary. Well, it is absolutely necessary. I'm a sick woman. I'm I'm very much upset. Very. I'm, I'm alone in this house, and I'm an invalid, and, and, and tonight I overheard a telephone conversation that upset me dreadfully. In fact, if, if someone doesn't come at once, I'm afraid I'll go out of my mind. I see. Well, I'll speak to Miss Phillips as soon as she comes in. And what is your name, ma'am? Miss Phillips? And when do you expect her in? I really couldn't say. She went out to supper at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock? But it's, it's not 11 o'clock yet. Oh. Oh, my clock has stopped. I thought it was running down. What time is it? Just, just 15 minutes past 11. What was that? What was what, madam? That that click just now in my own telephone, as though someone had lifted the receiver off the hook of the extension telephone downstairs. Well, I didn't hear it, madam. Now about this. But I, I did. There's there's someone in this house. Someone downstairs in the kitchen, and they're they're listening to me now. They're listening. Put down the extension phone. He's, he's coming up. 
Cookie, get, get me the police department. The police department. Oh, give me the police department. One moment, please. I will connect you. I can hear him. Oh, I can hear him. He's coming near us. Oh, I know it. Hurry. Hurry. Hurry, please. Department? I'm sorry, must have got the wrong number. But, but don't worry, everything's okay. Closes Sorry, Wrong Number, starring Agnes Moorhead, tonight's tale of suspense. This is your narrator, the man in black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next Tuesday when Mr. Donald Crisp and Mr. John Loder will star in the suspense play called The Extra Guest. Producer of these broadcasts is William Spear, who with Ted Bliss, the director, Lud Gluskin, the musical director, and Lucille Fletcher, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. Everybody knows it is unwise to pick up hitchhikers. It is especially unwise if you are young and pretty and driving a very powerful foreign sports car. You run the risk of losing your money, your car, your life, and possibly your heart, depending on the hitchhiker. Listen. Listen to Miss Barbara Whiting, starring in The Rim of Terror, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. I don't know why I gave him a lift. Even now, with the terror gone like a half-remembered nightmare, I can't be sure why I stopped my big Mercedes on that lonely road in Nevada and gave him a lift. Maybe because he looked so bedraggled standing there, hatless in the rain, by the side of the road. Maybe because he smiled grimly, almost with a sneer that was a challenge. I don't know. Anyway, I slammed on the brakes and he walked slowly up to the car. Torkel, my big husky, stiffened on the seat beside me. Quiet, Torkel. So you decided I don't look like too much of a risk, huh? Not at all. Please get in. You look very wet. As a matter of fact, I am very wet. Back seat, Torkel. Torkel, is it? How are you, Torkel? Well, it's quite a dog. Alberti could easily kill a man. 
He's really quite well behaved. And he wouldn't attack without orders. You've made yourself quite clear. This is an impressive machine. I love it. But I'm really not used to it yet. I just got it last week. You drive it very well. Thank you, but I don't really. Where are we now? Well, I'd say about 25 miles east of Winnemucca. You're new to this part of the country? Yes and no. I've never seen that view before. It's breathtaking. So much different from back home. Back home? Vermont. This is the first time I've ever been in the West, and I love it. The scenery is so... Yeah, but this particular scenery doesn't appeal to me very much at the moment. Why not? I'd say that there's someone waiting for us down there. Look. I looked. Far below on the valley floor was a fork in the road and an abandoned building. Near it was a black speck that looked like a wagon and two smaller black specks that moved. Men, no doubt, though from here they looked like ants. I'd suggest slowing down. Not much, though. I expect they are watching us through field glasses. Who? You let me out here. What? This cut hides us from them. Stop the car. Sorry, our ride together must end so soon. Now, don't be afraid. You have your dog sit on the front seat and keep him there until you are safe in Winnemucca. I don't understand. Uh, you know what a roadblock is? A roadblock? Are the police after you? Not the police of this country. Now, you just tell them that you haven't seen me and they'll pass you on all right. Huh? Goodbye. Thank you. He turned and started climbing the steep bank at the side of the road. He stopped halfway to the top and impatiently motioned me to go on. I slipped the car into gear. I motioned Torkel into the front seat and started down the pass into the desert valley. A couple of miles further, at the forks, the road was blocked by a black delivery truck. I was almost tempted to swing around it, but the man in the plastic raincoat who held his hand up so casually didn't look dangerous at all. So I came to a stop. Another man in a black raincoat was leaning against the truck, trying to clean the mud from his shoes. Across the panel of the truck was a sign that read, Nevada Public Opinion Surveys, Carson City. I felt a little silly for feeling scared a moment before. Howdy, miss. We're making a traffic check. Yes? You mind answering a few questions? Only take a minute. What do you want to know? Mm, well, now, let's see. Where are you from? Vermont. Vermont? Well, I declare, we don't get many tourists from Vermont. You come all this way all alone? Well, I don't suppose you'd count my dog as a passenger. <laughs> Guess not. Although I always say a dog's a man's or a woman's best friend. <laughs> Nobody else with you? No. Have you uh, given any rides to hitchhikers? Uh, no. Through the windshield, I saw the man in the black raincoat reach into the van... There was a smear of yellow paint on his raincoat, and the letters on the neat sign were blurred. It had been freshly painted, and the paint had rubbed off when he leaned against the sign a moment ago. Well, even if you've given somebody just a short ride, we have to put it down. It's for the statistical average. I'm sorry, but I've, I've lost too much time already. I can't answer any more of your questions. Let's quit stalling, Mr. Smith. The man in the black raincoat was beside the car now, peering in over the interviewer's shoulder. Somebody's been sitting in the seat next to Curly Head there. You can see where the seat's wet. Mm. Ma'am, you can see for yourself you've had somebody sitting in that seat not very long ago. My dog. Your dog's dry as a bone, ma'am. I'll search the trunk compartment. Maybe she's got him hid in there. Get her keys, will you? Take your hand off the steering wheel. Now, ma'am, just give me the keys. Torkel! 
had no idea the Mercedes had such power. It leaped forward under the accelerator. As I swung it around, clipping the front bumper of the delivery truck, skidding across the wet road, throwing a sheet of liquid mud over the two men. Through the rearview mirror, I could see them, running up the road after me, then stop and give up. I shifted into fourth and headed back up the mountain at 80 miles an hour. And then as I rounded the curve, there he was again, my passenger, laboriously clambering down the bank at the side of the road. He waved to me when he heard the car. And again, I don't know why I stopped. Maybe it was because he was limping now. Maybe because his figure looked so tiny and alone in all that vastness. Maybe it was because I remembered the cruel blue eyes of the red-haired interviewer behind his thick glasses. Anyway, again I stopped. Backseat, Torkel. Get in. I'm driving back to the main highway. I can take you into town that way. I wouldn't have hailed you, only I twisted my ankle up there. Oh, I'm sorry. What happened? Lose your nerve? I'm afraid I did. After they saw the damp mark your suit had made, and the man reached for the ignition keys, I I guess I lost my nerve. Now, where was the third man? There wasn't one. Well, he must have been hiding. Was one of them red-headed with glasses? Yes. The other one called him Mr. Smith. What's this all about? Who are they? Who are you? Well, I suppose I owe you some kind of an explanation. My driver's license and army discharge say that I am Peter Whittlesey of Elko, Nevada, but they are very excellent forgeries. Forgeries? Oh, yeah. You see, I am... All right, I was a spy. What? Yeah. I landed in San Francisco three days ago in the crew of a little Greek freighter. Mr. Smith met me, and his assignment was to get me from my ship to my new job. Where? Los Alamos, New Mexico? Naturally. I ducked him last night. Why are you stopping? Get out. Oh, no, how far can I walk on this foot? Hmm? Please, just get out. When you picked me up, I was on my way to the police to give myself up. It's my only way to get away from them. You must believe me. It sounds like a bad movie. Now get out. What about that bullet hole? What bullet hole? In the windshield. What? Oh, I didn't see it before. My friend, Mr. Smith, of course. I suppose I didn't hear the gun over the sound of the motor. Do you believe me now? Maybe I do. You see, when you have been sent on a mission into a country by the left arm, you are not supposed to change your mind and go over to the other side. They don't like it. The left arm? What's that, a, a fifth column? Well, I suppose you could call it that. How come you speak English so well if you're a foreigner sent here by the left arm? Foreigner? I was born right here in Nevada, and this is the only way I could get back home. Now, please, don't make me get out. Take me to the nearest police station, will you? Please. I suppose it was my New England conscience, or maybe just plain old curiosity. Or maybe... Well, he was attractive. On the twisting downgrade into Winnemucca, I learned his story how he'd been born in Nevada of Central European immigrant parents, how he'd been taken back to their homeland when he was a little boy, and after the war had been educated by the new regime as an undercover agent, how he had passed every test and resisted every temptation his teachers offered in his one desire to return home to America. And believe me, America is home. I, I was born here. I want to live here, work here, and to die here. Do you think the police will believe you? I don't know. You? I want to, but it's a pretty wild story. But it is true, every word of it. 
I know it is. I feel it is. Thank you. And now, tell me a little bit about you, poor little rich girl. <laughs> Don't let this beautiful car fool you. I came into a little money a while ago, and, well, it's the only extravagance I've ever indulged in in my life. Well, I must say, when you decide to be extravagant, you don't do it by halves. Ah, there. There's the city hall. The police station must be there. You can drop me here on the corner, and you won't waste any time getting through town. Yeah. You know, I don't even know your name to thank you. Elizabeth Whitehill. I shall never forget it. Nor your face. You're forgetting your coat. Huh? Oh, thank you. Uh, my real name is Alex Peck. Well, I, I hope I shall see you again someday. Until then, you wish me luck? I do, Alex. Yeah. Goodbye. And thanks. He turned and was gone, limping across the courthouse square. And I suddenly felt very much alone. I wanted to call after him, but of course I didn't. No, I slipped the Mercedes into gear and followed the main highway out of town. Ahead of me lay Seattle and Charles. Good, safe Charles who wanted to marry me. My little adventure was over and I was glad. I kept telling myself I was glad while I munched on a sandwich in a roadside stand on the outskirts of town. I kept telling myself that I'd gotten off easy. But I kept thinking of those pale, vicious blue eyes of Mr. Smith and the way Alex had slumped in fatigue like a very tired little boy. The sandwich lost its taste. I left it uneaten and started west once more for Highway 45 and the straight road across Idaho and Oregon for Seattle. And then a few miles further, Torkel nudged my arm. I glanced at him and slowed down. He had a wallet in his mouth, Alex's wallet. It must have dropped out of his coat as he left the car. He'd need it. It was part of the proof of his story. Without it, he might be delayed too long in that little police station in Winnemucca. But that really wasn't my problem. Let him worry about it. If I went back now, I would be involved forever and ever with this strange, dark young man whose tired face swam before my eyes. I swung into a side road, whipped into reverse, and straightened out on the road back to Winnemucca. There was no time to lose. I let the car out. Eighty. Ninety. I didn't know it had such speed. A hundred, 105 on one straight stretch. And then down to a cautious 55 as I entered the town limits until I pulled up before the police station. Stay, Torkel. Ma'am? Are you the officer in charge here? I'm Sergeant Helding. I'm looking for Mr. Alexander Peck. I drove him here not more than half an hour ago. Mr. Peck left his papers in my car... I thought he might want them, so I brought them back. He's gone, ma'am. Gone? Ma'am, you don't know how lucky you were. That fellow was a lunatic. Lunatic? Sure. His name is Peter Whittlesey from Elko. Not here in a fruitcake. He escaped from the Carson City Asylum last night. They came for him in a wagon. A black panel truck? That's right. Had Carson City State Asylum painted on the panels. In fresh paint. Pardon, ma'am? Oh, you've made a dreadful mistake. That's the same truck that stopped me back at Indian Forks. It must be. You're one of the most stupid, incompetent ignoramuses that ever sent a man to be tortured. Yes, and perhaps murdered. Now, ma'am, them's mighty hard words. And I mean every one of them. Now, ma'am, let's not have any sass out of you. 
You're too nice a gal to go around picking up strangers. Just run along now, ma'am. We're pretty busy here. <laughs> but you don't understand. Understand you're wasting our time. Good day, ma'am. Oh. Just a minute, miss. What? That's your car over there? That imported hot rod? Yes. Do you have any idea how fast you were going when you passed the airport? Why, I... I'll tell you. I was doing 90 on my motorcycle, and you walk right away from me. I've got a good mind to throw the book at you. In just a moment, we will continue with... Suspense. On Sunday, December 16th, CBS Radio will recapitulate the news stories that impressed you most during 1956 on a special broadcast called The Big News of 56. In order to do so, we need your help. Please write us and let us know which of the year's developments had the biggest impact on you. Write to Big News of 56, care of CBS News, 485 Madison Avenue, New York 22, New York. Do let us know as soon as possible so CBS News can know what you want to hear on the recreation of The Big News of 56 on Sunday, December 16th. And now... We continue with Miss Barbara Whiting in The Rim of Terror, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. He was tall and capable-looking, this state trooper. He had a kind face, even if he was threatening to throw the book at me. So I told him the whole story, every bit of it, and he seemed to believe me. All right, all right, now look. That van can't go much faster than 50, 55. My bike can do close to 100. Now, we didn't run into the van coming into town from the north, so I guess it's traveling along the highway south to Reno or maybe to California. I can catch it and stop it, sure. So what? How do I know the guy isn't a lunatic and the van isn't on the level? I've got to have identification. Why don't I follow you? Yeah, yeah. If you can identify them as the men who stopped you and tried to shoot you, I got a case. I'll make them wish they'd never been born. Come on, let's go. Once outside the city limits, the motorcycle leaped forward. I held the car at 60 until the officer was a half a mile ahead of me. Then I accelerated to keep the distance constant. The tachometer crept up to 4,500, 5,000, 6,000 revolutions per minute. The cars we passed were silent blurs, respectfully pulling to one side at the scream of the motorcycle siren. Then, down the shimmering surface of the road, miles ahead of us, appeared a lurching black speck. It was the van. The trooper waved his arm for me to slow down and swung alongside the truck. It was like watching a jerky movie from a great distance. Suddenly, the motorcycle swerved away, and the trooper was firing his gun. The van lurched into the ditch. The motorcycle slid across the road, throwing the officer onto the pavement. The man in the black raincoat stepped down from the van and walked toward the fallen trooper, stopped, and fired his gun. And then the trooper raised his arm and fired. The man in the black coat fell forward, caught his balance, and then slumped to the ground like a puppet with a broken string. I slipped into gear and drove up to the truck. The man in the black raincoat was lying on his back, staring sightlessly at the sky, a little red hole in his forehead. 
The trooper was sprawled out on the shoulder of the road, a trickle of blood from his chest soaking into the sand. Another man was slumped against the wheel of the van. They were all dead. And neither of the two men from the truck was Mr. Smith. Neither had pinkish red hair. Mr. Smith wasn't there. Mr. Smith still lived to avenge and pursue. But somebody else in this silent scene of death was alive. Somebody inside the truck was scratching at the bolted door. I opened the back doors of the van. There he was. There, strapped in a straitjacket, was Alex. It wasn't until I'd untied him and had him safely out of the truck that I became faint. Uh, it's all over. This part, at least, there's, there's no reason to shiver and shake. I, I can't stop. Right, it's shock. Now, let's pick up the pieces. How did you get here? I... I found your wallet. Go on. Make yourself talk. You dropped it to my car. I, I thought you'd need it at the police station. Ah. Uh, now, you're well enough to drive that machine of yours. I... I think so. Where? That depends on what happened to Mr. Smith. Where is he? I haven't the slightest idea, but he is looking for us. You can be sure of that. You've got to get away from here. All right. I'm ready. Come on. Wait a minute. What, what happened to you? What do you mean? That red stain on your jacket. Is that blood? Oh, no, I don't think so. Ah, the cans of paint in the back of the truck. When you untied me, you must have spilled them. Take it off. Why? You want people to ask questions. Come on. Get in, start the motor, and give me that jacket. What are you going to do? Ditch it. There's a car coming. Now, come on. Let's go. Good. It's in a dip about a couple of miles back. They didn't see us. My mother knit that jacket for me. Good, then you know where you can have it replaced. Where are you headed? We'll drive straight through to Seattle. Seattle? Too far. No, no, listen. My friend in Seattle, Charles Matthews, he'll know what to do. He has connections, even in Washington. He may not be too willing to help me. Under the circumstances, I could hardly blame him. Charles is bigger than that. I wonder... Two hours later, we were 120 miles near Seattle and filling the gas tank at a lonely motor court set in a clump of scraggly pines. Sure thirsty bus you got there, ma'am. Took almost 20 gallons. Yes, it was nearly empty. That'll be uh, 5.28. Will you cash a traveler's check? Sure will. All right, just to... Alex. What? My traveler's checks. They were pinned inside my jacket. The jacket you threw away. We'll have to go back. Do you have any idea what that piece of road will be like now? Half the population of Winnemucca driving out to see where that gun battle occurred. But, Alex, that's all the money I have in the world. You can stop payment on them. You can get your money back. But now, right now, I- I've only got a dollar and 75 cents. Now, let's see what I have in my pocket. Uh, uh, well, now, two silver dollars. A lot of chicken feed. Yeah, we can make it with half dollar to spare. Here you are, young man. Thank you. Come again. How are we going to get to Seattle on 50 cents? At the moment, I haven't the slightest idea. This tank full of gasoline won't take us half the way. You could phone your boyfriend, collect, tell him we are strapped, and ask him to wire you some money, huh? I couldn't ask Charles for money. Why not? You wouldn't understand. Well, if you don't want to ask him for money, don't. I'll figure out something. Like robbing a bank? Maybe. With your training, that shouldn't be too difficult. Perhaps. Oh, I'm sorry. That was unkind of me. Why do you suppose we're bickering like this? I haven't the slightest idea. Haven't you? No. (laughs) Neither have I. Payette, Idaho was the first big town. It was dark when we got there. 
Alex told me to pull up in front of the hotel. You can get a room and a hot bath while you're putting in your call to Charles. I can't get a room for 50 cents. Look across the street. That's what I've been waiting for. What? A pawn shop. My watch should be good for a few dollars. It's Swiss. <laughs> International currency, you know. Swiss watches. <laughs> now beat it. Get a bath. I'll take Torkel with me and call you in your room in half an hour. Come on, Torkel. <laughs> The hotel clerk showed me to a room on the second floor. It wasn't a very quiet room. On the corner beneath my window, the people of Payette were celebrating Old Timers Day. They had set up a kangaroo court and were trying their fellow townsmen who had failed to cooperate by refusing to raise beards and wear pioneer clothes. But I couldn't waste time watching the fun. I had to get through to Charles. I placed the call and started the bathwater running. When there was a knock on the door. Who is it? Here are your towers, ma'am. As I unbolted the door, I happened to glance into the bathroom. There on the rack above the tub, fluffy and white, were my towels. I tried to push the door shut, but it was too late. Mr. Smith shouldered into the room. I started to shout for help, but the sound never came. He hit me in the pit of the stomach with his fist, and I fell across the bed, gasping for breath, as the phone started to ring. I couldn't move. I couldn't make a sound. I lay there with the wind knocked out of me, watching Mr. Smith as he picked up the receiver. Hello? How much delay? Well, just a minute, I'll ask my wife. She says to cancel the call. We'll try later, thank you. Now, young lady, no monkey business. You try to yell and I'll cut off your wind for good. You two, you and Peck, have caused me a deal of trouble. You shouldn't have done that. How did you find it? The left arm never fails. Where's Peck? I don't know. I'll wait for him here. He's sure to return for you. I had to get to Alex. I had to warn him. The bathroom door was open. Smith was holding my arm. For a moment, he relaxed his grip. I swung away from him and threw myself into the bathroom, pulling the door shut and locking it. I expected him to shoot through the door, and I ran to the window, ready to jump. But it wasn't necessary. There was a rickety fire escape. I crawled through and ran down the shaky stairs, dropped six feet to the mud and ran around the corner of the building, toward the old-timer's kangaroo court on the corner. And there was Smith coming toward me through the crowd. He reached his hand out. Well, sir, I rolled around and shouldered my way through the crowd to the table where the announcer was sitting at his microphone. Well, Mr. Tatum just goes to show you don't raise a bid, you pay a fine. What's that fine, Judge? Five dollars. Suspended for the president of the bank. Well, Mr. Tatum, I tried to be easy on you, but the jury of your peers... Uh, please, please help me. Oh, hello there, miss. Give me your microphone. Now, no, just a minute, miss. You can't interrupt the proceedings. Please, please, it's a matter of life or death. Alex! Alex, stay where you are. They found me. <laughs> Again, Smith came for me. He and the big man with the beard. And then a tawny streak tore through the crowd. Torkel. He had heard my voice. He ripped the big man's leg. He jumped for Smith's throat. But before he reached it, the man with the beard pulled out a revolver. What's going on here? What is that? And Torkel lay there quiet. Mad dog. Mad dog. I tried to bend over him. But I knew it was no use. He was dead. And Smith had me now, holding me. I told her that dog was sick. Your dog? Yes. To see how you think my wife cared more for the dog than she did for me. I told her a dozen times that dog was sick. Let me go. I'm not your wife. Listen to me, please. You people. This man is a spy. A monster. He's trying to kill me. Now listen to her. Go on, folks. Listen to her. Drunk. Dead drunk. 
such a thing to say about your own husband. Now, I declare. Now, I'm going to take you on home to the ranch and put you to bed. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Now, wait a minute there. Just a minute. What? Maybe you don't know, but I'm the county veterinarian, and you can't leave that dog dead in the street. According to law, we got to make an examination of any dog, dead or alive, suspected of rabies. Now, you get that dog in the police wagon. But my wife... I don't care about your wife. She wasn't bit. You say you own that dog? Well, your friend here was bit in the leg, and you were scratched on the arm. Now, you get that dog in the wagon, and you follow him. Now, look here. Now, you look here. That's the law. Now, get. Or do you want a little help from the rest of these good citizens? Smith loosened his grip. I turned and edged through the crowd, which was moving in on him and the bearded drunk. I got to the fringe, to the open street, and ran toward the car. And there, coming toward me, was Alex, coming from the pawn shop. Alex, alive. Oh, limping, but alive. Alex! Alex, oh, my dear. Get in the car, quick. Torkel! They killed Torkel! Get in, you tell me about it later. You've got to get away from here. Smith said he was a mad dog. They're holding him. They said he'd have to have a rabies test because he was bitten. Good. We'll call the FBI from the next town. I've got enough for the watch to buy gas to get us to Seattle. Did you reach Charles? No, Smith got into the room. He hit me. Now, you tell me about it later. Now, slow down. Here's the highway signs. San Francisco left. Ah, there we are. Seattle, right turn. Hey, I said right. You said San Francisco left. Yes, but... We're not going to Seattle. Then uh, what about Charles? Who's Charles? But I only got $20 for the watch. I think I can get a little more for the car in San Francisco. Hey. Go to sleep, darling. You must be worn out. I don't know why I gave him a lift that day, but I'm awfully glad I did. Suspense, in which Miss Barbara Whiting starred in The Rim of Terror, adapted for radio's outstanding theater of thrills by William N. Robeson, from the novel by Hildegard Teilhet. Listen. Listen again next week, when we return with another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Ben Wright supported Miss Whiting as Alex. Others in the cast included Joe DeSantis, Byron Kane, Junius Matthews, Tony Barrett, and Bill James. The original musical score was composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. Sound patterns by Ray Kemper and Gus Bays. Suspense is produced in Hollywood under the direction of William N. Robeson. 